0: Amen. Thank you, worship team. All right, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Galatians chapter 4. The book of Galatians chapter 4. It's in the New Testament. Um, And if you don't know where where it's at, I just go to the table of contents. Galatians chapter 4. If you're new here, if you're visiting on this Labor Day weekend, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor at New Life. And I'm thrilled to see so many of you here today. And uh, today we do, it's, it's Vision Sunday for the next two Uh, Sundays, it's Vision Sunday. And Vision Sunday is an opportunity for us to be reminded as we begin our calendar year, our church calendar year, of uh, who we are called to be and what we're called to do in our city. And for some of us, this is gonna be the first time that you're going to hear me unpack uh, our vision, our values, who we are at New Life. For some of you, uh, you're gonna hear this again for maybe the second, third, maybe 10th, 15th time. As G.K. Chesterton has said, many of us need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. And so it's an opportunity for us to be reminded of who we are and what God has called us to do in our city. And I want to warn you ahead of time that this message is going to be like drinking uh, water from a fire hydrant. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff that's going to be coming your way, and so my goal is not for you to, to absorb intellectually everything that I'm saying. My goal is that that God will light a fire in you that by the time you are done with this message, you say, "This is the kind of church I want to belong to, and this is the kind of person that I want." to be. Many times people ask me, Rich, what kind of church is new life? What, what kind of church? And I say, well, we're a Christian church. And then they say, but what, what do you mean by that? What? And they, many times they mean what denomination are you, what have you? But I want to tell you, we, we are a 5M church, and I'm going to explain what that is in a moment. So Galatians chapter 4, uh, let's go to before God. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we enter into this passage today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for... Uh, this time in worship that we have, that we can offer our voices to you, offer our words and our praise to you. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us with with crystal clear clarity as to what it means to be the people of God here in Elmhurst, Queens and in this city. So speak to us, Lord. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen today i want to talk to you about being a church of deep transformation in a cosmetic age being a church of deep transformation in a cosmetic age one of the things that the world is really good at is surface cosmetic change when you look at the men and women that are on magazine covers we see the world is really good at surface change when you see the fixation people have with manipulating pictures on social media to get the right perfect filter before you press send we see that we tend to be oriented with surface change when we calculate the billions of dollars that are spent on external enhancements we see the obsession we have with surface change and many people believe that if only we can make surface changes if we can change things on the exterior of our lives then we will be happy I was reading a book recently by an author named Mark Sayers, and he was trying to make this point that many people not only apply this to our personal lives, many people apply this to our relationship lives as well. And this is what he says. He says, when a couple begins experiencing difficulties in their relationship, they plan to go on a vacation or move to a new house. They begin to apply layers of romantic idealism about this new place to which they will move, never realizing that the problems they are dealing with are inside of them. And so you spend $6,000 on vacation to save your relationship, and two weeks later, she still says, I'm leaving you anyway. It's just like, I just spent all this money to save this relationship. The problem was not out there. The problem was inside. Many of us have done this in our relationships. Many of us have done this in our personal lives and many of us believe that if I just change some things on the surface of my life, I will be transformed. And it doesn't work in our personal lives and it doesn't work in our relationship lives and it sure doesn't work in our relationship with God. And this is why we exist as a church because we believe that surface change is not what God has called us to. God has called us to a life of deep transformation. And this is why at New Life, the iceberg is the image of, of, really, of our church, the logo of our church, that God just doesn't want to change things on the surface of your life. He wants to change you and transform you deep within. He's calling us to deep transformation. The goal of Christian spirituality is deep transformation. And to be a little clear, I would say that deep transformation, very simply, is union with Jesus, union with Christ. And union with Christ is the process of living in him and having his life live through you. And to the extent that this is your reality, this is the extent to which you will experience transformation. To the extent that you live in him and he lives in you, that's the extent to which we will experience deep transformation and this is why we exist as a church to live in christ and to have christ's life lived in us now in our text this morning the apostle paul is writing to the galatian church and he wants them to move beyond superficial change and he wants them to experience deep transformation in galatians chapter 4 hear the word of god paul writes have i now become your enemy by telling you the truth Those people, and I'll explain who those people are in a moment, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. And then here is the line, really, I want to focus on. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. If you could summarize the Galatian church that Paul is writing this letter to, it would not be a stretch to say that they were preoccupied with surface changes which kept them from experiencing deep transformation. And Paul is shocked that they have gone this way after the gospel that he has brought to them. Now, in other New Testament letters, when, when Paul begins, he begins typically with words of blessing, with words of affirmation. Blessed be the God of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly cre- places in Christ Jesus, who has chosen you before the foundation of the world. Paul, many times, he goes into great, beautiful, poetic writing about the people of God and some of the churches that he writes to. But in the church of Galatia, when he writes six verses into this letter, Paul, he gets right to it. He basically... Says grace and peace to you from Paul, and right after, what are you guys doing? And he said, How could you depart from what I gave you? And Paul is shocked that this is happening. Now, what began to happen was certain teachers uh, called the circumcision party. That, that, that's it, that's a, yeah, that's that's it. Imagine trying to run for office with uh, representing the circumcision party. They they were the circumcision party, and there were certain teachers that were infiltrating the church, and they were teaching another gospel. And to use our language today, it was a gospel of cosmetic enhancement or probably not, enhancement is probably the wrong word there, But, but the teacher of the law basically said that faith in Jesus is not enough. What you need to do is you need to do some other things and then you will be the people of God, then you will be truly transformed. And so they said, you need faith in Jesus and you need to be circumcised. You need faith in Jesus as as a sign of the people of God. You need to be faith in Jesus and you need to abide by specific holy days. You need to have faith in Jesus and maintain the customs of Jewish culture. And if you do these things, then you will be the people of God. And Paul says, no. No. He says, only one thing can make you transformed. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is faith in Jesus Christ. And so when Paul gets to Galatians 4, he basically makes an interesting statement. And and I deduce from verse 19 this sobering reality, and it is this. That although the Galatian church was in Christ, Christ was not fully in them. Now hear this. We can be in Christ. Faith, we are in Christ. But it is possible to be in Christ and not have Christ fully formed in you. Why else would Paul say, I'm praying that Jesus Christ would be formed in you? Because you can be in Christ, but not have Christ formed in you. And so Paul says, my dear children, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, although Paul is writing to a church 2,000 years ago, this is a very similar issue to what we are facing today. And the temptation for us as individuals and the temptation for us as a church is to make superficial changes to our lives while neglecting the deep work that God wants to do inside of us. Now it's not that external changes are unimportant. But when we focus on externals to the point of excluding what God wants to do inside of us, we miss out on what God wants to do in us. In certain church traditions, the way to show that you have a changed heart, the way to show that you've been transformed is to make external changes. You stop going there, you stop wearing that, you start doing this. And if you stop doing that and start wearing that and start doing this, then the people say, You're transformed. You look like you're transformed at least. But Paul understands that on the outside, you can look like you're transformed. But on the inside, you are the same that you've always been. Every year, uh, one of my most dreaded uh, tasks to do is to get my car inspected, to get my car inspected, to pass inspection. And for the past few years, I've had a a check engine light on the dashboard, which typically means my car is not going to pass inspection. Now listen, uh, in the past, you could just pay somebody to pass the car. You could just say, hey, this is $50, come in, in Jesus' name, just pass my, pass my car, you know? <laughs> just make it happen, my man, make it happen. i give you a good seat at the church, you know, just, 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 just make it happen. You can't do that anymore. Somebody told me you can't do that anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can't do it. The machine, the machine, they, they, there's only one way to do it. You the pass or you fail. And so in the past, when I bring my car up to get inspected, I get the car washed, you know, just wash the car, armor all on the tires, you know, everything's looking good on the outside. But when the car, when the the mechanic puts whatever stuff he has to put on, the the mechanic and the machine could care less whether the car is washed. The machine could care less whether you have armor all on the car. All the machine wants to know is what's happening on the inside under the hood. And if they ain't working under the hood, you are not going to pass. This is what Paul is saying. You can make all the superficial changes in the world, but if you don't address what's happening under the hood, you're missing out on who God is calling you to be. And so Paul wants to make something clear. The purpose of Christianity is not just to live in Christ. It is to have Christ live in you and not just live in you to have his very life formed in you. We don't just want to be uh, the kind of church that gets people into heaven. We want to be the kind of church that gets the life of heaven into people. And when Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, when he died and he rose from the dead, it wasn't just to get you a passport into heaven. It was so that God's life would come inside of you in its fullness. God has really one goal for your life. One goal does God have for your life. You might have a five-year goal. You might have multiple goals. You might have financial goals. You might have family goals. You might have educational goals. All these things are wonderful, and we need goals. But I want to tell you, God has one goal for your life. And the one goal is this. He wants the life of his son, Jesus, fully formed in each and every one of us in this room. That's God's one goal that he has for us, not just to get us saved, to have the life of Jesus formed inside of us. And Paul says he's laboring as intensely as a woman in labor to see this happen. Recently, a church leader interviewed me over the phone, and he asked me a simple question. He said, Rich, tell me, what does your church specialize in? What's what's the thing about your church? Every church has their thing. What's the thing about your church? And I thought about it for two seconds, and I just knew what the answer was. Our church exists to do deep spiritual formation. That's why we exist. We exist, exist to have the life of Jesus fully formed in every person that comes to our church. We're not just stopping at people making decisions for Jesus. We're going until Jesus Christ is formed in every person individually and in our lives collectively as a church family. This is what Vision Sunday is all about today. It is my hope that we're not just stopping at people making decisions for Jesus. My hope is that all of us every day and every month that goes by, we can look at each other and see Jesus Christ formed a little bit more in us. I pray that Christ will be formed in us a little bit more tomorrow than he is today and a little bit more next week than he is last week and a little more next year that we look at each other and we say Christ is being fully formed in us little by little. And so every church has their specific grace, their specific anointing, their specific charism, their specific thing that makes them that church. Every church has one and we're no different. And our church charism really flows out of our five M's, our five values. This is who God has called us to be here in Queens and new New life fellowship church in Queens. And I want to just go over these five M's. We are a five M church. And what does that mean for Christ being fully formed in us? And it is my hope that at the end of today's message that you wouldn't just simply say, Oh, these are my church's values. My hope is that you would be able to say, these are my values too. And I'm going to, by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, try to live out these values faithfully in the world. The first value of who we are at New Life that God wants to shape us through is that we are a monastic community, our monastic value. That is, we are a community that slows down to be with God. A community that slows down to be with God. It is impossible for Christ to be formed in us if we never take time to be with Christ. And to say that we are a monastic community means that the primary goal of our lives is to slow down, to be with God, because everything flows out of this. And we need this value and the reason why it's the first value is because for many of us in this city, slowing down is impossible. Slowing down is difficult. James Bryan Smith has said these words. He said that the number one enemy of Christian spiritual formation is exhaustion. Exhaustion. And I think he's on to something. How can you cultivate a deep, nurturing, formative relationship with someone when you're always exhausted? It's like trying to have a meaningful, heartfelt conversation when you're on the treadmill. It's almost impossible to do when you are exhausted. And yet this is how many people try to cultivate a deep life with Christ. Never taking the time to slow down our lives to be with God. But to be a monastic community means that we are ordering our lives around a simple rhythm of being with God. And we are resisting the Western uh, mission-driven evangelical culture that says that you have to do for God really without being with God. And it's easy to do for God without being with God and having it flow out of that place but we're called to have a life that looks like Christ. And when you look at the life of Jesus, you see that Jesus, although he had the the fullest schedule that anyone else had, he lived a life so oriented to God, slowing down, absolutely nothing separated Jesus from a life given to God in prayer. And so here's my prayer for us. My prayer is that above all else this year, as we enter into this, this, this calendar year for us, that we will be a church that individually and collectively slow down to be with God. For some of us, this means that finally this is the year that you begin to practice Sabbath. That 24-hour period once a week that you stop, rest, delight, contemplate, you are slowing down to pay attention to how God is speaking in you and speaking to you. For some of us, this means that finally we're going to get to the place where we practice by the power of God to pause once, twice, maybe two times, three times a day to be with God to remember God's presence during the day and not get so overwhelmed with work that it crowds out God. But no, no, throughout the day, we pause to be with God. May we be the kind of church that slows down enough that God can feed you through Scripture, that we're taking the time not just to scroll through the Bible, but we're taking the time to actually chew through the Bible and what God has given us to be, slowing down to be with God. David said it like this in Psalm 27. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David said, one thing have I desired. And may that be our heart as well. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We are called to be a monastic community, slowing down to be with God. In addition to that, out of that life, to be uh, rooted in this church at New Life Fellowship means that not only are we a monastic community, it also means that we are a multiracial community, that we bridge racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers for Christ. Now, Christ doesn't just want to, form us as individuals. He wants to form us as the people of God. He wants to form us into the new community of God. And at new life, that means that we work to tear down every wall that separates us. One of the clearest signs that Jesus is forming a community is this. There are no walls that separate people. You know, God is present in a place when walls are coming down. Just look at Jesus ministry. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he broke down walls. The biggest wall he broke down was between us and God. When he died, the, 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 the temple, the, the, the curtain just was torn in two. What separated us from us and God was no more. But not only between us and God, Jesus, his life on the cross and his resurrection is also meant to separate, to, to tear down every wall that separates us from each other. And look how Jesus chose his disciples to model this. When Jesus chose his disciples... He didn't choose guys that agreed on everything. He picked these guys that had so uh, radical differences in, po- in politics in theology in personality. And he said, now at, in my family, we do things differently. And this is the kind of life that Jesus, he didn't say, if, if you agree on everything, you're with me. He grabbed people from different theological and ideological differences and political differences and said, we're going to demonstrate to the world what it means to be the new people of God. And this is one of the, the, the challenges that, uh, that we face that new life because we are called to be a community that is truly united, even though we have many differences and we have many differences in this church. I've seen you on Facebook. I know I know the differences we have in our church. We have some differences. And yet in spite of our differences, God has called us to be the new people of God. And in the church as diverse as ours over 73 nations represented in our church. We have to resist the temptation that just because we gather on Sunday worship together, that we are really doing reconciliation. The temptation for us is to be a crowded subway car, a kind of sanctified subway car, where we get a diverse crowd of anonymous people in close proximity with each other. And when it's my time to get off the stop, I'll see you maybe next week. And that's not what we're doing when we gather on Sunday mornings together. We are called to move beyond just a superfluous and aesthetic multiculturalism. We're called to be the reconciled people God, And so we know that Christ is forming us when walls come down. This is why, for us as a church, we are committed to tearing down walls of racial injustice. This is why Black Lives Matter movement should matter to us. This is why it should matter to us. Because we're, we're tearing down walls. This is why those that are oppressed and on the margins, the immigrants, the unborn, those living in poverty, should matter to us. This is why the empowerment of women in our church should matter to us. We are called to to tear down walls in Jesus' name, bridging racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers for Christ. To say I'm part of New Life Fellowship Church, to say this is my church, means that this is the kind of life that we are saying yes to. This is the kind of life that God is calling us to. And so we're called to be a monastic community, slowing down to be with God. We're called to be a multiracial community, bridging racial, culture, economic, and gender barriers for Christ. And how do we do this? Well, it brings me to my next value. We are to do it because we are to be an emotionally healthy church. Now, some of you might be new here. You say, Rich, that doesn't start with an M. Let's just close your eyes and make believe it did. Just this emotionally healthy church. Emotional health. Now, there are many ways to explain what emotional health means for us at New Life. You can say that emotional health means that we are about integrity. You can say that emotional health is about integration. What's happening on inside is congruent with what's happening on the outside. But I'd say uh, when you narrow down what does it mean to be an emotionally healthy church, I would say it in this way. To be an emotionally healthy church means that we love well. It means that we love well. The greatest sign that Jesus is formed in a person and formed in a community is simple. They love well. Not gifts, not power. How you know Jesus is present? They love well. And our value of emotional health is about becoming a person and a community that works at love, and we need to work at love. I like how Scott McKnight, a a theologian has said it, he said it this way, love works, but you have to work at it. To love the folks in your church is taxing and trying and testing. Loving others creates all sorts of tension, which is why we need to work at love. All of us need to work at love. Over the years, I've met people that come to New Life because they've heard the message of emotional health, the message of emotionally healthy spirituality, and they come to our church thinking that our church is exempt from conflict and tension. And they read Pete's book, and they go, that's the church I want to go to. And they come. And they maybe get involved in a small group. They take a class. And then four months into it, there's tension and conflict. And they say, I thought we were an emotionally healthy church. And I've had people come up to me, I thought we were an emotionally healthy church. And what you have to understand is this, to to be an emotionally healthy church doesn't mean we don't have issues. Lord knows we have issues. It means that when issues come to the surface, we respond in a loving, mature, emotionally healthy way. To be part of this congregation means that we work to love well. And emotional health is really what we're trying to do in practice what Jesus commands us to do. Jesus says, you should love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is essentially what we're trying to do. We're trying to be faithful to what Jesus has commanded us to do, which is why listening is so critically important to be an emotionally healthy community. We talk about how to listen well, that we're a church that listens well. We listen to each other and see how God is coming to us through other people. We allow God to speak to us through our interior world, through our emotional world. We're allowed to to integrate the feelings inside of us that lead us to a life of worship to God. It means that although we might disagree, we are not disagreeable in the process. We are loving well. And to be part of this church means that we don't have our acts to get it. Be part of this church means that we are working hard to love well and to express to the world what Jesus has desired for every church, emotional health. So we're called to be a monastic community, flowing down to be with God. A multiracial community, bridging racial culture, economic and gender barriers. an Emotionally healthy community, loving ourselves and others well. And it is out of that place where, where we just don't want to focus on our so-called church life. We want to also focus on our home life as well. Uh, to be part of the church means that we are married to Christ. And we shape our lives, whether you're single whether you are married, out of marriage to Christ. The, the image of marriage in Scripture is, is, is plentiful. The Bible begins with a wedding. In the middle of the Bible, we have the Song of Solomon, which is a beautiful song about the covenant of, uh, and, and sexual intimacy of a couple. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. That wasn't by accident. His first miracle was at a wedding. Jesus is known as the bridegroom. The, end of, of, of the, the, the book of Revelation ends with, with a, a union, the marriage of God to the people of God. And so all throughout the Bible, we see the importance of this theme of Marriage. And yet, with, with, with everything that the Bible shows us, the importance of marriage, the, 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 the deep need to have vital relationships that point to God's relationship with his people, the truth is marriage in our culture, inside the church and outside the church, is struggling. I read a statistic that said that only 7% of couples have what's called exceptional marriages. The recent Ashley Madison scandal is yet another indication that our marriages are in trouble both outside the church and inside the church. Very recently, some, someone hacked into this, this website. This, uh, this is really, I don't know if there's any other way to call it demonic website of life is short, have an affair. And someone hacked into it and, and they wanted to do, uh, do good by exposing everyone, all the basically men that were on this website. Pastors have had to step down. Church leaders have had to step down. This, their business leaders, their names are all over the place. And this is the state of what marriage is. But to be formed in Christ means that our marriages are also to be transformed as well. And the way that married couples love each other is to be one of the most important ways we preach the gospel. That when they see married couples, they see, marriage becomes an icon. That is a window into another reality. That when they see your marriage, they see God's love for God's people. And so we are called to, for God to shape our marriage. This is why at New Life we talk about sexuality and the integration between sexuality and spiritual formation. This is why in an age of deep sexual brokenness, we need a theology and a spirituality that forms our lives together. But not only does this value speak to our married lives together, it also speaks to our singleness as well. And I say that half of our church is married, half of our church is single. And our hope is to provide a vision, not just for marriage, but a vision for singleness that is rich and beautiful. Listen, Jesus was single. The apostle Paul was single. And sadly, singleness has become a stigma in the church. And it's easy for singles to feel like second-class citizens, like we're in some sort of purgatory until I can get set free from this and enter into marital bliss. And we don't have a theology. And many churches don't equip singles with a theology of what does it mean that you're not just waiting for Prince Charming or or, or Princess uh, Belle. Let me choose one of the Disney. (laughs) I can list off a whole bunch of princesses. I got a six-year-old daughter. That we're not in some kind of purgatory. May God give us a rich theology of not just what it means to be married, but what does it mean to be a single person as well? And Jesus wants to give us a vision, New Testament gives us a vision of of not just struggling marriages and struggling singles, but a thriving marriages and thriving singles. And so in this way, we are to be different than what the philosopher and poet Chris Rock has said. (laughs) Chris Rock asked the question, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? And what we're saying is, Chris, there are other options than being single and lonely, or married and bored. There is a, a different way of being in the world. And that New Life, this is why we, we work so hard uh, with, with getting marital classes and singles classes and trying to teach us sexuality and theology. What are we trying to do? We're trying to get the life of Christ formed in you, and formed in your marriage, and formed in your singleness. There is another way forward. So we're called to be a church married to Christ out of which we shape our marriages and shape our singleness. And lastly, it's this. To be part of New Life Fellowship Church on this Vision Sunday means that we're slowing down to be with God by the power of his spirit. We're tearing down walls in Jesus' name. We're loving others, loving ourselves well. We're married to Christ, shaping our marriages, shaping our singleness out of that. And also means lastly, we're a missional community that we offer ourselves to the world, that we exist to be a blessing to the world. And it's important to be reminded of this because unless we are on mission, loving and serving the world, we're not really the church. If we're just this insular thing where we're just taking care of me, my wife, my dog, us four, no more, if we're only doing that there, we're missing out on what it means to be the church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great theologian, German theologian, has said that the church is only the church when she exists for others. And so we are called to be on mission for God. Whatever joy we receive, we're offering that to the world. Whatever generosity we receive, we're offering that. To whatever goodness we receive, we're offering that to the world. And we're called to be very intentionally on mission. First of all, loving this local community. As Red mentioned, you know, uh, as as Red uh, directs our community development corporation here at New Life, our our primary um, uh, assignment from God is to be on mission loving this community out of which everything else flows. This is why we have uh, 10 programs in our community development corporation. This is why we see over 2,000 patients offering free health care in our health center downstairs. This is why we feed thousands of people to our food and clothing pantry. This is why we seek to empower teenagers and young kids and literacy and, and being community activists in our community because we want to not just preach to your souls, we want to preach to the very real reality of what we're living in. And Jesus Christ didn't just come to rescue your soul, he came to rescue everything. He came to renew everything. And as a result, we are on mission for God not only are our mission serving the poor and serving the marginalized in our society, it also means our mission that we are all in full-time ministry. What Pete just mentioned as he was praying for teachers, that all of us, you're not a second-class Christian because you're not a pastor. You are called to full-time ministry, bearing witness to the goodness of God and the grace of God wherever you go. This is what it means to be a 5M church. Paul writes, and I want to invite the worship team to come forward. Paul writes to the Galatian church, I am in the pains of childbirth until Jesus Christ is formed in you. Now, this may come as a surprise, but I, I've never given birth. Okay, I've, I've never given birth. But I've been in a room <laughs> when my wife gave birth. And I could attest that they call it labor for a reason. They call it labor for a reason. This is hard, hard, messy work. But out of the pain and out of the mess and out of the contraction, something beautiful emerges. And in my years at New Life, I have experienced my uh, transformation as well. Who I was when I first got here, I'm not longer that person, I'm no longer that person. And it, and it was hard. And I had to face myself, and had to look beneath the surface, and had to make hard decisions in my life. And I'm not the person who I was when I first got here. And I know eight years from now, I'm not gonna be the person that I am today. And this is the goal that God has through that, that a little, every, every year you're here with us, every year God has you as part of this community. that that Jesus Christ will be formed in you a little bit more. And is it hard without question? It's like the pains of childbirth. Is it messy without question? But God has a beautiful life for you. Something beautiful that he wants to birth if we allow him to form his life in us. Amen. Let's all stand together. And I want to lead us into taking communion together next week, I'm gonna talk about how do we practically live this out, especially with all the great events that are coming up at New Life, from membership to Alpha to all these things here. And next week, I'm gonna unpack a lot of that. But one of the things we do at New Life is we are to demonstrate to the world what unity looks like in the midst of deep diversity. And one of the best ways we do that is by taking communion together. So I wanna invite the folks that are gonna be offering communion to come to the tables down below here and on the balcony. One of the beautiful things we do to demonstrate the unity that God has given us is to take communion together. And if you notice something about communion, it's one meal. We all eat the same thing. We all take it in. There's no menu for rich folks and the dollar menu for the poor folks. It's one meal. It's one Lord, it's one baptism, it's one spirit. One table. And when we come to the table, we come saying, although we are different, the one thing that binds us together that the world cannot give, the world cannot take away, is the life of Jesus Himself. His death and resurrection, which has offered us new life, not just individually, but to be a new community that is a prophetic sign to what God's kingdom looks like. And so as you come up forward here, you can take bread. And as they say, Jesus Christ, his body broken for you, his blood poured out for you. May God do something in our hearts and in our church. May God unite us through the power of his spirit that as principalities and powers we seek to divide the church. May we be reminded of the call that God has put on this local church here to be a unified body in the midst of our diversity. And as you take that bread and you dip in the cup, be reminded that Jesus Christ has made us one, even in spite of all our differences. And so when you take the bread, dip it into the cup, go back to your seat, and I'll come back up here and I'll lead us to take it together. But may we be a sign of God's new kingdom that he is birthed through his son Jesus and the power of the spirit. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for scripture. Thank you for the unity that you've given us in your son Jesus. Lord, as we take communion today, we come not on the basis of our performance, but on your performance. We come not in our name, but in your name. We come not in our righteousness, but in your righteousness. Lord, would you see our diversity and would you make us one? So we come to the table. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said amen. Before we take communion together, I want to give us personal repentance before we have our public confession together. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And every time we gather on Sunday morning, it's another opportunity for us to repent. Every Sunday morning, we repent. God's kindness comes to us, and we say, I can't live the way I've been living anymore. My life needs to align with His grace and His goodness. So I want to give us a moment just to have our own uh, personal private confession before God. All the ways that maybe you've heard me today and you realize, Lord, I realize that you've calling me on this journey and I've been saying no. I've been going my my own way. Lord, I want to come back today. And So I invite you to close your eyes for a moment and then we'll pray this prayer of confession together. Between you and the risen Jesus, offer your words of repentance to him. Let's pause for a moment. serve only your will. Amen. Let's all take together. Amen. I want to invite the prayer team to come to my right. Maybe you feel today that want Christ to be formed more deeply in you, and you realize that only a certain amount of willpower can get you there, and you realize that many times you're powerless to do it. You need the power of God's Spirit to do it in you. This is why we close with prayer, because we believe that there is a, a unique grace that comes to us when someone prays for us in Jesus' name, an ability to transform us and change us in ways that our sheer willpower cannot. So this is why we close with prayer for those of you that would like to receive it. Maybe you're not even a Christian today. I wanna tell you, Jesus Christ wants to be formed in your life. He wants to birth a new you into the world. And if you are sensing God speaking to you today, when I give my closing prayer, you run down here and let someone pray with you and lead you to Christ and show you what the next steps are. And for some of us, maybe you've been following Jesus, but you realize, Ah, oh, Rich, he's formed in me maybe 10%. And you want him to be formed in you just a little bit more today. I invite you to come up for prayer, whatever needs you have. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And if you're new here, the reason we do this is because we cannot give what we have not received. And this is the posture of receiving. We can't be the per- the people that God has called us to be unless God do something in us first. This is why our hands are open this way. God, do something in us so that we may be the people you've called us to be. And so with your hands and your hearts and a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the goodness of jesus and may today may he be formed in you a little bit more than he was yesterday and may you offer the gift of this new life to those around you at work or at home or those you encounter on the street so i bless you all today in the strong in the beautiful in the resurrected name of jesus and the people of god said